Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello, friends and listeners, and welcome to episode 12 of Reads Like a Four, the podcast that deals with reviews, critics, and criticism. This week, my guest is... Nancy Durrant. And let's hear a little bit about Nancy's career so far. I am Arts Commissioning Editor at The Times, but I'm also an art critic, uh, which I've been doing... Do you know what? I haven't the faintest idea how long. Uh, it's one of those things that I sort of fell into and then uh, became... Um, yeah, and just ended up... I do it... Every now and again, I'm not our chief critic, I'm our chief critic's editor, but I'm also the second critic. So, we talked a lot about uh, the need to keep art criticism accessible, but we also talked about whether perhaps art is too highbrow for star ratings, uh, how it compares to music, film and TV reviewing, uh, a little question about the Times paywall... We talked about the distinction between criticism of art and art itself, uh, what most commonly makes a show or a piece bad, uh, and we also, of course, popped in our fiendish quiz at the end to see if Nancy could recognise her own voice in amongst that of other art critics. Um, so it seems to me, you might want to correct me if I'm wrong, you've been at the Times for almost 15 years now. Yes, that's um, right. <laughs> uh, let's, start, let's start with as broad a question as possible. How have you seen reviews and cultural criticism and the appetite for it change in that time? That's a good question. I think, well, there's less of it. It's shorter, probably. Um, I think we, we, and we still give quite a lot of space now to reviews of all the arts um, but it has definitely diminished across newspapers definitely and I think the power of the critic is 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 not as strong anymore um, because people take their news and their views from all over the place from social media and I'm sure you've heard this countless times from other people but you know we're not we're not the only you know we're not the be all and end all anymore mm-hmm. um and one of the things about this paper, about the Times, is that we do, we do try to be consistent in our voices. So we do try to, like our, our critics, along with our commentators, are, a, are <laughs> we, perhaps we flatter ourselves, a selling point for the newspaper. Mm-hmm. People get to know us. We only use people we trust. Uh, we use them for a long time. Um, we don't often introduce new voices because people take a long time to get used to them. Um, and you know people people read 
you know, someone like Neil Fisher on classical music or Richard Morrison um, or Rachel Campbell Johnson on art or, you know, Dominic Maxwell around Trenman on theatre because they, it doesn't necessarily mean they agree with them, but they, they know them and they begin to appreciate what it is in their reviews that they can pick out to and make their own to understand where they're coming from. Yeah, guess, and, just, and just also just kind of go, okay, well, if Anne Treneman thinks it's, you know, it's, it's really good even though it's three hours long and she hates long things, like, I'm definitely going to go and see it, you know, stuff like okay. that. It's just to get people, people want to get to know you, I think. Um, and that's borne out, that's borne out by our experience of using social media. People don't really follow or comment on things tweeted by um, sort of branded accounts, you know, Times Music or Times Arts. We have them, but they're not hugely active. It's people, it's names that they, that readers and, and people following people on Twitter are mm-hmm. attached to. And so, I mean, I was going to ask later on, but it, it's, it's relevant now. Would you say that in that, in that sense, job security makes for better reviews in that people have got longer to establish themselves and, and kind of have a, a, a voice that people recognise? Well, there, I mean, there are two sides to being a reviewer for a long time. One is, yes, that you establish your voice and you establish a readership and you establish um, an expertise. The other thing is that you it is possible to fall prey to... Um, certain pitfalls such as reusing phrases a great deal mm-hmm. you know just and and formatting your work in a way which is which can become a bit um samey so that's something that you really have to i think be quite careful about um you know all people who have to do a lot of reviews a lot of the time will find themselves falling into the same sort of idiosyncrasies after a while and that's something that is is quite important to guard against I think. And you mentioned as well the, the sort of the constricting of space um, mm. for, for, for arts and cultural criticism. Uh, in another episode with, with Simran Hans from The Observer, she was talking about how they've had to restrict their kind of non-league reviews from seven to four. Um, mm. And I wondered, with the restricting of, of space, is there a certain type of, of show or of exhibition or of theatre that suffers as a result? It, 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 you know, is it, does it tend to be a kind of uh, the same sort of thing that, that loses out? When it's the smaller ones. Mm-hmm. It's the smaller ones. It's always, I mean, you know, when you're writing for a national audience and not a, speci- not a specific or not a, not a specialised audience, so not writing for, you know, they're not buying it because it's a music magazine, they're not buying it because it's, you know, Art Monthly or whatever. Um... You, you need to be, and it's a and it's you know a national audience that's very wide geographically. You need to be mindful that what you're covering are things that people might have tried to travel to had they the means. Mm-hmm. You know that they would you know they will go to Picasso at the Tate, or at least they will really want to. You know they'll go and see. Um, Damien Lewis in in a in a David Mamet play at the, in the West End if they can afford it and if they you know they will really want to do that and if they and the other thing is a lot of these things are quite expensive the big stuff is expensive you need to tell people whether or not they should get the babysitter get the train get the overnight stay you know get the ticket um, it's a service you know that you're providing and the service is to the reader and not to the artist sometimes that's hard to remember. But it is, but it is the case. I I'm think. sure it's reassuring for a lot of people to hear that there's such practical concerns behind <laughs> yeah. behind writing a review as well. You know that, that, that those are real those are real worries of the people that will be yeah. reading this. Is things. it worth going? Yeah. You know, is it should I should I spend 
£120 a piece if I'm lucky on tickets to Hamilton, mm. you know. I mean, the answer is, in my opinion, yeah. But, mm-hmm. you know, that, it's easy for me to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone should, but perhaps at their own pace. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, one thing I really enjoyed in, in the writing of yours that I've seen is the balance between accessibility and knowledge. Um, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily assume a lot of a reader in terms of prior knowledge, but it also doesn't seem to patronise people that maybe, you know, are, are, are fairly well-versed in these things. Is it a difficult balance to strike? I don't think it's a difficult balance to strike for me, and the reason for that is that I didn't start out as an expert. Like, I don't have an art history degree. Um, I've been doing this a long time, as you kindly mentioned earlier, <laughs> and, um, uh, and I've picked up a hell of a lot, and I do a lot of reading, and I do a lot of research, and I... You know, and I have now seen a hell of a lot of exhibitions. Um, but what I also, what I like to think of as a kind of advantage, maybe not, but is that I can go into it as um, as a punter as well. Like if I go into an exhibition by an artist I don't know, uh, particularly contemporary art, I'm thinking of. You go in and 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 the the wall texts are broadly nonsense. It's difficult to understand. You can't really you don't really know the context and it's kind of po-faced about explaining it, that's not a good... Just because the, you know, the work might be great, but the exhibition is a bit shit because it's not helping me. It's not... You know, I'm, I'm happy to do work, but, I, but, I'm, but I'm not prepared to go in and be expected to think something's brilliant just because, you know, just because everybody says that the artist is. If you don't help the general visitor in a, in a Tate exhibition, for example, then you're not doing your job as a curator. So... I have the ability to go in. I mean, I'm I'm more informed than most punters, obviously, mm-hmm. um, which is why I can do it. But I'm not so deeply informed as someone who's done, you know, has got a PhD in art history or something like that. Um, that said, there is a great deal to be said for uh, unlocking things that people don't know about an artist um, or a kind of artwork or an era. And obviously, if, you know, it's more difficult for me to do that sometimes if I have to work really hard to find it, find it out in the first place. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Um, I'd imagined, perhaps ignorantly, when I started reading uh, art criticism as opposed to kind of TV and film criticism, mm-hmm. that, that it would be too highbrow a form for star ratings, <laughs> uh, which it turns out that it really isn't. And, uh, and <laughs> no, routine, really routinely across, across different, different papers, not just the Times, but the, the, the things are given those ratings. Um, do you think they are equally applicable to an exhibition as they are to a film? And, and what do they add? What, what, what's, their, what's the benefit? You've touched on something very fraught. <laughs> the concept, <laughs> the idea of the star rating is one which I think we all struggle with. Not just here, not, I don't mean just at the times, I just mean generally. You know, giving something stars out of five is a really difficult thing to do um, you don't want to sit on the fence like a three star review is less than useless in mm. a way because you don't want to sit on the fence I As mean what who, to whom are you giving any kind providing any kind of service in the case of a three star review I'm not saying you can't give them or you shouldn't give them but it's helpful if you don't. Well, as we as we used to always say when I was working at record labels, three stars means never having to say a sorry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's true. But it's just it, it's not it's not. I don't know. I think you have to kind of consider what you're doing. As I said, you always have to come back to the fact that certainly in the case of a national newspaper reviewer, you are providing a service to the reader, and you you need to try and help them to understand essentially whether or not something is any good at base. 
or at least is good enough or not very good mm-hmm. um, and so what your kind of God, star ratings are such a bloody nightmare. It really is. I mean, yes, they are as, as applicable. I mean, you can rate anything, can't you? Mm. Really. You can rate something that's very... It's more difficult to assign a star rating to something like, say, an opera, because you have not just... You have the performance, the acting performances, you have the singing performances, you have the performances of the musicians, you have the stagecraft, and you have... Uh, if it's a new opera, you have the music itself to kind of review. I mean, obviously, if it's Mozart, everyone takes it as read that it's pretty much all right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a lot of things to bring in to the mix and to then kind of form into one big squishy ball and say, this is a three star, this is a four star, mm. this is a two. Well, it's, it's a lot of layers to, to fit into 400 words. Yeah, so yeah, like yeah that's that as well. Rating. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, it's a, it's one of those. Um, it is more it's more difficult, but it definitely is applicable. I mean, it, it's just it's helpful. I hate them. I'm not going to lie. I really wish we didn't do them because, frankly, I think apart from anything else, a star rating means that people don't read to the end. Mm-hmm. I think that's annoying. Um, I mean, you could argue that we should, you know, write them so scintillatingly that people will read to the end. But quite often, I think people will flick through and look at the star ratings. Mm. You know, oh, shall I read? Shall I see that film? Oh, it's got three stars. That might be all right because I know it's got Scarlett Johansson in it, or you know, whatever. Mm. So, I think it's uh, they are problematic, but I don't think they're going anywhere. No, people like them. I wonder if there's a, if there's a, an argument that, that a three star review, especially, stops people reading because what they're looking for is is impassioned writing, and they don't yeah. think they're going to get it from a, from a middling review. No, exactly. I mean, they are the most they're the most new. It's interesting. They are the most nuanced reviews, probably three star reviews, mm. but they are also the most difficult to write and probably the least enjoyable mm. because you know if you love something or you hate something, then there's a kind of thrill in writing about it you're mm. sort of you're yeah impassioned it's a good word to use actually you're you're fired up by something in one way in one way or another yeah a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Um, to, to kind of stay on the theme of, of, of uh, art and theatre criticism as opposed to, to maybe film, music and TV... Are there habits, tropes, or a tone that you think that belongs in in art and theatre criticism that perhaps is absent from film and TV? 
Um, that's a good question. No is probably a short, the short answer because I think, I mean, if you're reading, if you're, if you're a general reader but you're sort of vaguely interested, I mean, people don't, people don't, gen, if, if people are interested in the arts, they think of themselves as a bit arty, you know, a bit cultured, you know, but they don't, and, and they're usually sort of open to most things unless they're kind of a massive film buff or a massive, you know, opera buff or whatever. Um, but they are still general readers, and I think you. I think as soon as you start making something sound like theatre criticism or sound like arts criticism, and actually, especially sound like mu- pop music criticism or sound like film criticism, because my God, that can be smug and mm-hmm. annoying and excluding. Um, then I don't think, again, I don't think you're doing your job properly. You need it to be able to be read by someone's granny and by, by, you know, by a teenager and by anybody. Mm. But, you know, the girl who serves you your coffee in the morning to, you know, the guy who tells you whether or not you're going to get pay rise. Like, everybody needs to be able to read that thing, I think, if you're writing for a national. Um, and, and anything else is just... Anything else is, 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 is a little bit excluding and it and it makes people feel like sometimes it makes people feel like it's not for them. Mm. I mean and following on from that I, I, I saw your uh, piece for Channel 4 News uh, about the passing of, of Robert Hughes and talking about the accessibility of his writing. Um, how conscious are you of the fact that, that your writing is could often be someone's entry point to the world of art and theatre each week? Oh, what a nice thought. I don't really think about that very often, actually. But I just, but you know, I'm like you say, I've been here for fifteen years. I know I'm writing for an ordinary person. Mm. Probably all my readers would be like, "What? What do you mean, ordinary person?" <laughs> um, but I'm a, you know, I'm writing for for a general reader, and it's very, it's very important. It is always really important to remember that you just have to remember who it is you're writing for. And you know, I would not be writing the way that I write if I were working at Freeze or. Some, I mean, they wouldn't have me, I'm sure. <laughs> but, you know, it's not... It's just not... Uh, I think it's... Yeah, you, you just always have to remember what people are. And people are generally... You know, the, the main thing in their life will be the fact that they are a lawyer or an accountant or, you know, they run a shop or they, you know, they, they sort of... They, they buy furniture for heels or whatever, you know. that that And then... But they quite like the theatre or they quite like... Oh, you know, they they probably don't go more than three times a year to a thing, mm-hmm. like, uh, uh, to any one thing, to a to a play or to a to an exhibition. Um, I mean, who who the hell has the time? Mm-hmm. Like normal people don't have the time to do this stuff. So you've got to you've got to be aware that they're not going to have the time to do the work. So you have to help. You have to just help them understand. Yeah, and also I've got a sort of idealised image in my head of some kind of thirteen-year-old kid whose dad's left the Times on the on the table, and that's his first. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's his first. You know, I mean, we, I mean, it's not we, impossible. No, we we laugh, but you know, when you consider the size of the readership and how and how and how long arts writing has has been going on, it's a statistical likelihood, probably yeah. every week. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I'm sure that there's always somebody. Yeah, it would be. I mean, that would be a lovely thought, I think. Mm-hmm. And and now with with the sort of opening up, with the digital opening up. Although of course we are behind a paywall, which is oh my obligatory paywall questions coming up. Oh so. goody, I look forward to that. <laughs> um, but, uh, 
Uh, I mean, I suppose it's so. So, for example, I mean, let's face it, most 13 year olds' uh, entry to arts criticism is going to be The Guardian mm-hmm. because it's free uh, online. Um, but, you know, lots and lots of people read it, and I think it's, uh, it would be, yeah, that would be a really nice thing to know that somebody had. I mean, most of the letters, I mean, admittedly, nobody writes letters anymore except people who are over 80, mm-hmm. but a lot, as I say, a lot of the letters that I receive are from people who are about 83. Mm-hmm. Not very many young people write to me and say, I loved your review, thank you very much, but, you know, it doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I suppose as well, though, if you, letters from, from, from older people who've been enjoying arts coverage all their lives, they're probably, you know, it may be that, that people have just been introduced to something by your writing lack the confidence to Yeah, of course, yeah, exactly. And, and also, know. why would they? You know, I mean, it's, it's rare that somebody would... I mean, most of the things that I receive are people saying, I read with interest your thing about whatever it was and let me tell you about this thing which connects me to this exhibition I got a letter I got a lovely letter a few weeks ago from a guy because I'd reviewed the uh, or I'd written about it wasn't a review actually but I'd written about um, the Ocean Liners exhibition at the V&A and he sent me a section of his wartime diary when he had been one of those ships had been requisitioned for the army as a military carrier and he was on it and it sailed, I think it was a cruise ship and it sailed him into New York Harbour oh, and they wow. saw an advertisement for tea bags and they'd never seen tea bags before. Oh, it goodness. was so sweet. <laughs> um, right, let me get my paywall question out of the way. Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I initially, as a lot of people were, were quite resistant to the idea of mm. paywalls when they started. I feel increasingly, as I'm getting older and feeling a bit more sort of patronly of, of <laughs> things that I love, that 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 it that it's I was I was unfair to begin with. Mm. I mean, obviously, it's there to protect a level of revenue. Do you think there's an argument that it also maintains the value in people's minds of of good, well-funded, well-researched criticism? Yes, I'm sure that's yeah, probably yeah. I think so. People people are more inclined to. Um, care about and think favourably of a thing that they have paid for Um, but I also think you would never ask any other creative person to give you their work for free, you would never ask a novelist oh can I have that Mm. you know, you would never say it's a a bloody human right to have this thing This it would be delightful if you could have all the arts for free, that would be wonderful I'm not saying journalism particularly comes under the arts, but it is a it is a creative act day in day out, um, and um, not in a making things up kind of way. I hasten no. to add, but it's but in a writing kind of way. It's an endeavour. It's yeah. an endeavour, and you wouldn't ask anyone else to do their work for free. I mean, you know, the money doesn't just go to Rupert Murdoch; it goes mm. to us as well. It's paying our mortgages, and you know getting our kids shoes and all that business yeah and I do think there's something psychologically amongst people that if they pay for something they value it more and yes, more I'm likely sure to engage true. with it I'm sure that's true yeah mm-hmm. I think you know exactly people are like oh well I've paid for this I might as well read another article which is a good thing yeah um, are there are there wider points about art and the perception and the consumption of it that you find you return to a lot in your writing we talked earlier about the danger of people who've been writing about something for a long time repeating phrases and things but are there kind of are there ideas or bugbears or kind of points that you find yourself putting across in in frequent different articles? Probably, yes. I mean, I think that one of the things... I mean, I suppose you develop ideas about the art forms that you write about um, slowly but surely, and then they sort of become what you believe. And one of the things that I am inclined to believe is that great art should alter your equilibrium in some way. Mm -hmm. Um... And it can make you very angry 
um, or it can make you um, very uh, upset or it can make you very happy um, but it should it's something should shift you shouldn't leave unchanged you shouldn't leave you know I mean you don't you have to be changed a tiny little bit mm-hmm. but you know you shouldn't leave unchanged and I think that's that's probably the thing that when you're struggling a bit with whether or not something is any good, if it leaves you cold, it's probably not, mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Um, to what extent, we touched on this a little bit, to what extent is it sensible or correct to look at art criticism as art itself? Is there a distinction? Is it on a sliding scale? Are they two entirely separate things? I'd never thought of it as art, I must say. There is an art to it, I will grant you, but that's not the same thing. There's an art to, you know, making a good chair leg. That doesn't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily stick it in a gallery. But I think, I mean, that you know, to write, it, writing is hard. Um, I know that because a lot of people can't do it. Mm-hmm. But if you can do it, and you can, you can learn to be really good at it. Um, but... It, it it's so you know it's a, it's definitely a skill and to write a f- 350 word review of a 14 room exhibition for example to explain to people roughly what they're going to see tell them whether you think it's any good give it a bit of color make them want to read to the end and tell them who it's by uh that is that is quite an art, mm-hmm. I will grant you. But it's not it's not the same kind of thing. I mean, it's not it's not it's not I'm not just conjuring it from myself, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not creating something. Um I'm I'm trying to I'm com- I mean it's I'm just communicating effectively mm-hmm. with flair. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I'd say it was art. Okay. That's one in the that's one in the not art column. But yeah, it's, been, it's definitely it's definitely been a, a mixed response when I've asked that question. Really? Before. Well, there are people. I mean, I suppose it, it kind of depends on on what each person does. I was talking I had a previous episode. I was talking to Charlie Lyon, who makes films that are largely critiques of of, of the making of or the genre of film itself. Oh, that's and a so thing. Yeah. He's certainly very much of the opinion, but he but he did make the point that you know even when it's he's talking about written reviews, he doesn't see a distinction. But then I suppose that's because kind of the bulk of his work is 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 a blurred line in itself. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And then there are people who are horrified at the idea that what they are doing would be called art, and they're very adamant that art is the thing that they're writing about, yeah. not the thing that they're writing. I think I'd just be a bit mortified to say, you know, I mean, to, to say that I was creating art day in, day out. I just yeah. don't think I am. But then it's tricky because... I mean, the... sometimes you really are knocking it off. You know? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but there's, um, you know, there's often occasions where there's, there's, you know, there's a book or a film or an exhibition that I have absolutely no intention of going to, but to to read the review is the joy of the thing. Oh, often the case with books, I think. Mm. Plenty of books, like, it's great to read the review, you really don't need to read the book. Yeah, but then I sort of think, you know, it con- it often conjures the same feelings in me and I have the same enjoyment of it as I would having just finished a good record or a good mm. book. So, Yeah, I mean, I guess the response can be similar, but I think um, I just, you know, I, I think art requires certain... I think it just, it, just, it sort of requires a... a Sometimes art can require a certain ego, actually. It's not always the case. Mm-hmm. Um, which you kind of have to try and keep out of criticism because mm. it shouldn't 
necessarily be about you. Although, having said that, to be fair, read one of our restaurant reviewers, and, you know, 80% of the piece is about him, and some of it is about the restaurant, and mm. people absolutely love it, and it is really entertaining. I do so, find that's I don't know, re- it's, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a, there's definitely a grey area. I do find it's relatively, that's relatively unique to restaurant reviews as well. Yeah. Certainly, if we're talking the proportionally how much of a review is about the person that wrote it versus the thing they're reviewing. Yeah, yeah that's true. Uh, maybe, maybe that's why I'm struggling to get food critics to come on the podcast. I've spoken to a few, and it's never it's never quite gone on the way to recording. Yeah. Because uh, there are more, more celebrities in the right right than, than anyone else. Um, when, uh, what most commonly makes, in your opinion, a show or a production or a piece bad? What is your most common criticism of something that you don't think has, has got it right? Well, I think that depends very much on the art form. Obviously, I don't... I mean, I have done theatre reviews in the past, but only very few um, during a period when we were sort of juggling around seeing who we were going to make, you know, theatre critics, and I was sort of plugging a gap. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that is, you know, oddly enough, that's my first love, is theatre. Which is also a good reason not to be a critic in it. Mm -hmm. Um, But, so mostly I write about art, and probably... For me, I mean, what, what, in a way, what you're doing as an art critic is you're not necessarily just reviewing the art, you're reviewing, I think I said, touched on this earlier, you're reviewing the exhibition, you're reviewing the way that it's been put together, and you're reviewing, you're reviewing the sort of, the experience of the art mm-hmm. as well, in the a way. The presentation as well yeah. as the content. Because, you know, you can go and see, I'm trying to remember the name of the artist, and I won't be able to now, which is embarrassing, but anyway, there was an artist who had a show at Tate a few years ago, um, and uh, he was from Latin America, and it was, and the work is really great, actually. The work is really great. I really like it. Um, it's very witty, and it's, but it's quite conceptual. And once you have it explained to you, and you don't need very many words to explain it, actually. You just need to say things like, when you stand inside this lift shaft, and there's a lift shaft in the middle of the room, um, you might notice that the ceiling is very low and this is about, you know, and it feels quite weird and this is about the, that it was, it was basically at the height of a, the standard um, of a kind of average man. So everything just felt a bit smaller and it was a bit odd and it was about the body and about space and stuff like that. And it was kind of like, oh, that's quite cool, I quite like it. But I didn't know that at the time and nobody going in there would have known that at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found out because I asked the question um, and looked it up in the catalogue and kind of thought, oh, well, that's quite an interesting piece of work. But there was no information, there was very little information available in the exhibition. And so you would have kind of walked around this thing looking at these weird objects and just gone, I just don't understand it. Mm. You know, I don't, I don't, I can't recognise where my equilibrium is being shifted. Um, and that just makes me un- uh, that just makes me a bit anxious and uncomfortable, and I feel like a bit stupid because I don't, you know, because I feel like I, you know, it, it's clear that I ought to be able to understand this. Mm. But if you're just a normal, per- if you're just an ordinary person going in there and you don't have access to the catalogue, you don't have the money to buy the catalogue or whatever, um, it's not that's not helpful. So it, it's, it does no service to the artist. And it does no service to the to the public. So what's the point? Do you find yourself sometimes having to almost do their work for them by working this sort of primer into the review itself? Yes, actually, occasionally, yes. But you do also have to say, you know, 
don't look at the wall text, look at this bit of paper that you might be able to get hold of, or look, you know, just, or this might help you to understand it, actually it's quite good. Mm. Um, but the review, but the, the star rating in the end will reflect the fact that the show itself isn't great. Mm-hmm. And that's, so that's, so for me it's that, it's, it's usually the, the curation is the, is the sticking point. Quite, I mean, sometimes it's a work, obviously, sometimes it's a work. Not all the work is good. I reviewed a Damien Hirst show quite a number of years ago now, probably in about 2012, and that was one of the ones of his awful paintings. You know the one? You know, the sport the, the, paintings? No, the ones with the really terrible ones of, like, parrots and butterflies and stuff, but, like, actual just... God, they were crap. Oh, I think I checked out by that point. Absolute door, but, yeah, it was, mm. you, you were right. You should Checking out in around, like, 1997 was probably the best thing to do. In my personal opinion, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so that was. I mean, God, that was. I mean, that was just rubbish. But usually, it's the curation that is the sticking point for me. With theatre, you know, what makes it bad? God, it could be anything, couldn't it? That's mm-hmm. the thing. I mean, with an art exhibition, it's just you've got those two options. With theatre, it could be anything. It could be the acting. It could be the direction. It could be that the script is weak. It could be that the lighting is terrible, or the music's too loud. Or I mean, it's. There's all sorts of things that can go wrong with theatre. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I have great um, uh, admiration for anyone who embarks upon it because, I mean, and, and film even worse, you know, what, there is always something that can go wrong. Mm-hmm. If you can manage to make something sublime in a situation when you're working with 20, between 20 and, let's say, 200 people on a movie, and you make something fantastic, my God, that's really impressive. Mm. Yeah, the, 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 you can imagine the, the, the flowchart of everything that could go wrong and yeah. to, to oh, go Jesus. down that one route where it's all alright exactly. seems, seems so unlikely. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, well that's, that's more or less the end of the questions, but as I pre-warned you earlier, there's a, a brief quiz where I've basically taken oh, I forgot about that. some passages uh, written by you, Christ. some passages written by other people, and, uh, and let, let's see if you can uh, tell which is which. Oh, no. So this is the first. Uh, the detail is extraordinary. The fur on the couple's clothing, their embroidered cuffs, the brickwork of the walls, the stained glass on the upper part of the window, and the metal clad corners of the frame to prevent damage from the shutters. Jesus, what was that? I do. Ha- I should probably also warn you that some of these have, uh, have, I've had to go fairly far into the archives for because I thought it would be too easy to just pick things <laughs> yeah, from this year. Oh God, that could be me. Is that me? It is you. Yes. That's you on, what the, was it? on the Arnold Feeney. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. I knew it. I knew it. It was the windows. It was the windows that got it because I vaguely remembered something about about a bit of... Yeah, anyway, fine. Okay. Good. I won. Uh, number two. There's much evidence here of Lamella's anticipatory clout, his seer-like pointing towards conceptualist futures. That's not me. That isn't. Uh, that is from Freeze Magazine. <laughs> That's uh, John Quinn on David uh, Lamellas, if I'm pronouncing that right. You might well be. Okay. Uh, number three. The screen, with all its brilliant CGI effects, is restlessly compelling, and yet one's drawn loyally back to the poor, simple statue. It's a gripping standoff between old and new technologies. I don't think that's me. It isn't you. That's, uh, that's uh, Laura Cumming, The Observer, on Mark Leckie at Glasgow International. Uh, I don't think I'd have used the word loyally. Okay. Uh, number four. Don't sweat the small stuff. It's probably not a phrase that Henry Moore was familiar with, but for him, bigger was definitely better. That could be me. That is you. Ah. Uh, Henry Moore in uh, 2012. <laughs> uh, finally, number five. 
Standing in Anthony Gormley's new installation is a bit like being in a 1980s computer game, Pac-Man or something. That's me. That is you. 2010. I win. There we go. That's not a bad score. That's the end of the quiz and the end of the episode. Thanks very much for talking to me. Oh, thanks for having me. The end. My sincere thanks to Nancy from The Times for being my guest this week. Next week on Reads Like a Four, uh, episode 13, is going to be talking to Simran Hans, uh, one of the Observer's film critics, uh, who sits alongside her work-slash-film dad, in her own words, Mr Mark Kermode. Uh, so we'll be talking a little bit about uh, what has to be sacrificed when uh, a newspaper goes down a size, in terms of what films it's able to cover, uh, and also the most annoying things in film journalism, and also some of the most uplifting. So please do join us for that next Friday um, if you want to follow us on Instagram or Twitter it's at reads like a four please get in touch with us it's reads like a four at gmail.com particularly if you're a food critic we are yet to have one on the pod and very keen to have one as you may have heard uh, during the course of this week's episode so uh, until next Friday thanks again for listening please do rate review and subscribe if you can on iTunes uh, or whatever pod provider you prefer uh, and I will see you next Friday thanks Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.